many of us ever know what it is to become the perfect version of ourselves? This is Decoding Superhuman with your host, Boomer Anderson. Why, howdy there, superhumans. It's Boomer Anderson here, bringing you another episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. So today, I am smiling from ear to ear. And it's not because I'm en route to California or anything like that. It's because I have one of my mentors on the show. And she has had an absolute profound impact on my stress resiliency as well as how I view the topic of breath work. And that's why I had her on today to talk about that very same topic. So my guest today is Dr. Micra Hamilton, and she's the co-founder and CEO of the Apiron Center for Human Potential, as well as the Apiron Academy. Dr. Hamilton is also a colonel and human performance subject matter expert in the United States Air Force Reserves. She is a human systems designer and creative disruptor in the field of epigenetic human performance coaching, creating a new paradigm for what is possible in human flourishing. And if you're wondering to yourself, what is human flourishing? We get into that as well. Dr. Hamilton skillfully works with the systems-based precision approach to optimizing the performance and potential of the human system by leveraging genomic and epigenetic lifestyle strategies along with leading-edge research and technologies. The technologies part is something that we delve very deeply into as well. This personalized and evidence-based approach addresses the psychological, emotional, mental, and energetic aspects of the entire human system, all in an effort to enhance the human experience. Dr. Hamilton speaks internationally on the focus areas of epigenetics, of human environment, conscious leadership, peak psychophysiological performance, and stress optimization. Dr. Hamilton leverages 28 years of experience in the field of psychoacoustics for research and development activities at Apiron's Research and Development Division. So what did we get into in this podcast? We talked about breathwork and its profound impact on stress resiliency. We get into what is capnography, hypo versus hypercapnia, and how freediving actually plays a role in all of this. Dr. Hamilton gives you a way to assess your own breathing today. We talk about flourishing, sovereignty, the book On Combat, and oh, so much more. I always enjoy learning from Dr. Hamilton, and I hope you do too. Enjoy the podcast, Superhumans. The show notes for this one can be found at decodingsuperhuman.com slash drhamilton. That's H-A-M-I-L-T-O-N. Enjoy the podcast, Superhumans. The sponsor for today's podcast is Neurohacker Collective. The chairman, Jordan Greenhall, has been on the show to talk about one of my favorite topics and episodes to date, sovereignty. And the medical director has also been on the show to talk about unleashing your human potential through epigenetics. That's Dr. Daniel Stickler. But why do I love Neurohacker Collective so much? Well, frankly, it upgrades me on a day-to-day basis. Actually, I take their products five out of seven days of the week. Their original Qualia stack is something that I absolutely and still thoroughly enjoy. It's packed with over 40 premium brain nutrients to immediately enhance your focus, energy, mood, creativity, and all while supporting your health. Their new flagship nootropic, Qualia Mind, is a premium nootropic supplement that helps support mental performance and brain health. And frankly, with both products, I do not get the crashes that 
I commonly get with nootropics and other supplements. So I want you to go over to their website and check it out when you have a chance. It's neurohacker.com. And if you subscribe, you get 15% off by using the code BOOMER. If you want to just do a one-time purchase, you get 10% off, again, using that code BOOMER. And while you're there, pick up their free foundational guide to neurohacking. It's definitely worth checking out. But please, enjoy the show. Dr. Hamilton, so good to have you. Hey, great to be here. How are you? Oh, I am. I'm so much better now, that's for sure. You know, this is a conversation that you and I have had many times, but I'm glad to click the record button on it. So we're going to talk a little bit about breath work today and building stress resiliency, becoming anti-fragile and being just amazing human beings. But Dr. Hamilton, if you don't mind, I want to start with a little bit of a, a, com- a question, really. It's said that between 60 and 90% of us don't breathe properly. Why, why is that? What is breathing? What does not breathing properly look like? And frankly, why should the average person care? Uh-huh. Yeah, well, so breath is life, right? If you think about the human system, the very foundation of living is breath. And, you know, we talk about sleep and we talk about eating and we talk about exercising and we talk about breath from the perspective of heart rate variability and performance from um, its, its effect on cognition. And rarely do we ever go down into the essential nature of incredible breath mechanics, right? Respiration, um, cognition, how, how all of that human system is fundamentally foundationally driven by breathing and breath itself. So when you ask the question about the 60 to 90% of people who are not breathing ideally, and so, so, and I wanna go to that from a language perspective, when you talk about not breathing properly, right? um, You go, you really end up going down a rabbit hole. Humans think we know how to breathe, right? It's an automatic thing, our bodies do it, And while that's true, what isn't often the case is that we're doing it the way the body is intelligently designed to do it, meaning effortless breath where the exhale leaves the body and the reflex kicks in and the brainstem and says breathe. So we have an impetus to breathe, we breathe in, the air leaves the body, it comes back in. So the answer to the question is we do breathing. We do breathe it as humans. We control our breath. We take over the mechanics of our breathing. Generally, you know, when you look at babies, they're barely breathing. They're barely moving air and you go, are they breathing? They're in their belly. It's diaphragmatic. It's smooth. It's amazing. And then we hit puberty and we get all stressed and we start breathing in our chests. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's, uh, does that girl like me? Do should I wear this? I mean, it's, it's so fascinating what adolescence brings, but basically a disconnection with the natural processes of breathing. And so we move up into the chest. Um, when you move up into the chest, the body doesn't do what it's designed to do. It's designed to take that breath all the way down into the diaphragm and to have beautiful respiratory gases the brain is open, prefrontal cortex is activated, executive skills are moving nicely. 
Um, and, and it's a beautiful, intelligent design. What we do as humans is we kind of take over. Okay, so we go through puberty. We start sucking in the belly because we're trying to have that six-pack abs, right? Uh, right? Trying to impress all the ladies, or at least that's how my experience was. Uh, what, what's the effect of this? Because I know, at least from my experience, there's a lot of relationship to the nervous system. You touched on HRV in general. But what are some of the sort of negative effect, effects of breathing poorly? So when you, when you look at breath mechanics and then the subsequent fallout in the chemistry of the body and then in what's happening in the brain, let's take your example of holding the abs in. And we all do it, right? Me, especially with my military background, that's what you do. You, you hold everything in, you stand properly. And what happens is the, the natural movement of the diaphragm kind of gets locked in. And so now we're moving very shallowly and often quickly up in the chest. And so the, um, the entire system is sent a signal that it's in more of a fight or flight state because the body in its natural diaphragmatic breathing is in neutral or in idle or in a relaxed, more of a relaxed posture. And so when, the, when everything is held in and we're not using the diaphragm the way we're designed, lots of things happen in the physiology and in the mind so if we just take a, a quick nervous system tour, um, you hold it in, you're breathing up here, you're barely moving the air through the system the way it's supposed to, you have vasoconstriction within the body and often resulting in hypocapnia or overbreathing, which we're gonna talk about. And the brain actually doesn't get the oxygen that it needs to stay thriving and healthy. And so you can, with, with this um, constriction within the body, create a 60, 40 to 60% reduction in oxygen to the brain. And, and you know what that causes, right? All kinds of fallout. So it can be anywhere from physiologic where um, I feel numb and tingly, I have brain fog, I can't concentrate, I'm emotional, I'm angry. The fallout from this breath process it affects every single system in the human. It affects all relationships. It affects performance, cognition. I mean, it's, it's fascinating the far-reaching effects of just simply restricting the breath in the body. Wow. Okay. So I guess at this point, we need to define a couple terms before we go deeper on that uh, hypocapnia topic. But how would you define breathing and respiration? So breathing is, is basically a mechanical function, right? And, and when, you, when you talk about respiration, you talk about three, basically three different types of processes. So external respiration is basically the mechanics of breathing. So you're taking air into the system. Um, the, you also have an intracellular type of respiration or an intracellular process. And then you're, you're at the cellular level which is really the utilization of energy at the mitochondrial level, right? And so when we talk about breathing and today, it's mostly talking about how we take that air in and then what happens in the system mm -hmm. with the air. We're not, I, I don't, don't suspect because your, your um, podcast reaches those who really want action yeah. and performance. Don't suspect we're going to go, we're going to go into that, that small cellular level. Mm. Um, so if we, if we keep it at the external respiration, it's about what's happening 
as the air goes in and out of the body. Before we go into all these cool topics, if I wanted to measure my breath or measure breath work, because I know breaths per minute is something that you and I have talked a lot about in the past in terms of how to mitigate that. And maybe we can start with that sort of what is ideal breaths per minute for a person? Uh, What do we normally get? And I guess, how would you measure it? Because I, I don't really trust some of my wearable technology on this. Yeah, we're, we're a bit limited on the wearable side right now, but, but um, advancements are coming quickly. So when you talk about breaths per minute, it's interesting. This is, this is just like what's happening in all of the health systems. People want to have this average, right? It, it isn't necessarily about how many breaths you breathe per minute, and yet it is. So if, if we look at Harvard, and we look at Cleveland Clinic, and we look at the traditional health establishments, they're going to tell you anywhere between 12 to 20 breaths per minute, 16 to 24 breaths per minute. Now, because I live more in the performance world, I'm going to tell you six to nine breaths per minute. Uh, just, just real quick. You said six to nine versus 12 to 20. Right. I just want to emphasize that for people because we're, we've got a bunch of performance listeners here. So, right. And it's, and, and this is really essential because even in like nursing and medical school, they're teaching, you know, this, this 16 to 24 breaths per minute, 14 breaths per minute in our performance world at rest. And we're talking about at rest, right? We're not talking about while you're performing because that's a whole different uh, demand on the body, but at rest six to nine is the place where this ideal, um, I call coherence or syncing the breath to the heart rate to the brainwave state is ideal. And so when you, when you talk about that from a, a systems approach, it's I breathe in six breaths per minute. That's the resonant breathing rate of my heart. When I breathe in, my heart rate climbs. When I breathe out, my heart rate diminishes. And so if you look at, like, let's use a, um, maybe a, an astronaut who has really unique demands. Say they start out at a resting heart rate of 50 breaths per minute, 50 beats, right? They're doing 50 beats, sorry. They breathe in and they get this 45 beat per minute increase. So, so their heart rate goes from 50 to 95. Then when they breathe out, it goes back down to 50, up to 95, down to 50. And that's what we talk about when we say heart rate variability. The heart is highly variable. All of the systems are integrated, interconnected, and in sync. And in that place, the body knows exactly how to perform, what to do. There's no, there's no me doing anything with it because my body simply knows how to do it. And that's the ideal state that we want. So if you, if you look at the fact that you're talking about six breaths per minute for most people for this state, if I'm at a resting state and my breath is at 16 to 20 breaths per minute, it's too far off of that resonance breathing rate for the heart. And I'm not going to be able to lock into that performance state that, that where you're really a high performer. And so when we talk about this six to nine breaths, ideally, it's for this performance world. It's for people who are actually doing this work differently. It's not for the average human who's walking around happy with maybe going to the gym twice a week. It's a, it's a whole different level of performance. And so um, what, I, what I wanna make sure that everybody hears is 
there is no one ideal breath rate for the human state. The state is highly dynamic and we want it to do what it needs to do in each state that it's experiencing. So if I'm sitting here with you and I'm talking, I'm going to have a very different rate than if I'm out doing uh, some crazy Spartan race, mm -hmm. right? Or if I'm sitting actually doing a project where I have to dial in and have my focus very, very intense and extreme for a period of time. And so it's about the dynamic nature of the breath, but in a resting state, being in that nice, effortless, in my, in my knowing, six to nine breaths per minute. Okay. And one of the words that you just mentioned was coherence. And I guess for the average person who probably hasn't focused on this ever, you know, how, how do you start training this? Because when you said coherence, my, my brain immediately says heart math. Is that where you would start or how would you recommend people get started on that? Well, and, and so I, I think what will happen is as we move through this today, we're going to tie those pieces together. Mm -hmm. I've been working with HeartMath for a very long time. Absolutely love it in specific uh, uses, right? Once the human system has been fully evaluated. And I say that because it's really easy to mechanically, prescriptively move your system around. Mm -hmm. So... If, I, if I'm deciding that I'm going to do some heart rate variability training and I know that my resonant breath rate is about six breaths per minute, I know that I'm supposed to breathe diaphragmatically in my belly and um, at a nice, smooth, rhythmic pace. So my strategy would be I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to imagine that the air is going in in my heart space, down into the belly, and I would slowly, gently inflate, deflate, right? Inhale, exhale, um, about five seconds in, five seconds out. Now recognize that's a very prescriptive technique. So what happens with that is I am mechanically moving my heart around. I'm inhaling, my heart rate's going up, I'm exhaling, my heart rate's going down. If I'm mechanically doing that versus that's the way my body is doing it, right? I'm forcing a state that I cannot hold later. And, and this is where um, everybody using heart math and doing heart rate variability training who are doing it prescriptively and who don't actually have that as a locked in baseline state can potentially be actually causing deficits in the body mind complex. Mm -hmm. And so this is why I say that the first step is evaluation of this system. I, I am unique. You are unique while we're, both human and we have similar systems, we don't do it the same way, mm -hmm. right? So what parts of the system do we have to look at when we're talking about what is ideal for me in my state, in my current state of being, and what is ideal for you and them and, you know, and, and what that takes is an evaluation. So if I know the position of my breath, am I breathing in my chest? How fast am I breathing? How rhythmic am I breathing? What is the dynamics of the inhale and exhale? If I know position, if I know rhythmicity, if I know what's happening in my carbon dioxide balance in my body, and this is, this is where, where uh, we're going today, mm -hmm. then I know what my system is as a baseline state. From that baseline state, I have a, I have a, a very good data capture, lots of information about what it's doing, and then as I maneuver my system around, 
how agile is my system, right? How adaptable are my systems to be able to perform in any situation that I push it to? And so, so it's an evaluation of the precision nature that gives you that opportunity. So what I do is I evaluate the whole system, review what that system's doing. This is that baseline state. Then put together what could we do to optimize and enhance that state. If I see that the person has great mechanics, great speed, uh, great carbon dioxide output, and that all of these things are in balance, and I put them on heart math or I put them on whatever training device they're going to use and we can maintain all of that during what we call heart rate variability training, they can, they can use any system they want. Mm-hmm. Heart math is amazing. Uh, they've got 30 years of research, science of the heart data that's spectacular. It's really about, am I in an ideal state when I'm doing that type of training or do I compromise my precious respiratory gases when I'm in heart rate training. I can't tell you the number of athletes, CEOs of high performers that I've done these evaluations with only to find that when they drop into what they call their heart rate variability training uh, strategies, they take their carbon dioxide down to a place where they're compromising many of their human systems in particular, right? Muscles, mm-hmm. <laughs> muscles, but the brain. Yeah. And when we compromise the brain for too long, we've got significant issues in all aspects of living. All right. So there are a few terms in there like carbon dioxide, et cetera. And I'm hoping we'll get into this when I ask this next question. And perhaps this is the evaluation framework you speak of. But what is capnography? If you don't mind going into that, because this is a, it's a term that I've heard often. I've, I've seen people do it. I've heard you know, Janet's been on the show before. She's done it. What exactly is capnography? Capnography is a way, and most people are familiar with this if they've, if they've ever had surgery. You know, an anesthesia goes and they, they make sure that their, their gases are regulated in the brain. The capnography that we're talking about, capnometry, capnography, is more in a performance and educational lane. And it's, it's a barometric device that uses an oxygen cannula and the lips are closed, the carbon dioxide comes out of the lungs, so it's end-tidal CO2, carbon dioxide, coming out of the lungs. It is a close approximation of what your arterial carbon dioxide is doing. And this goes to pH and um, to acid-base regulation in the body and mind. And so we put this device on, we look at what is the carbon dioxide output from the lungs. Every person, every human has an, a carbon dioxide output of normal or eucapnia that's 35 to 45 millimeters mercury. So it comes out, it's read on a piece of software, and it tells us what that level is. So, so when you, that's eucapnia, 35 to 45 millimeters mercury. That's normal. When you're outside of that normal range, now you have significant issues. Below that range, below 35 millimeters mercury, is what's called hypocapnia, mm-hmm. or over-breathing. So basically, we're sending out too much carbon dioxide, and the respiratory gases in the body and brain are not high performance. And we can look at it like this. Let's say a Maserati, right, mm-hmm. uh, is a high-performance vehicle that uses high-performance fuel, 
and the Kia is a really great little car that can run on regular fuel. This is this is what happens in the body. So if I'm a if I'm a Maserati, right? I'm getting really beautiful chemistry in my brain. I'm I'm potentially right. These are dilated closer to that 45 millimeters mercury as opposed to my Kia being at 35 millimeters mercury. Mm -hmm. and, and remember, normal's normal. So if I'm 35, I'm normal. I'm not saying it's better to be 45 than 35, right? And yet what we see with high performers is they have more range. They have more oxygen usability, capacity, high performance mix. And so I generally see them between the 40 and 45 millimeter mercury range. Now, when we go up on the high end, we talk about hypercapnia. Hypercapnia is it's generally behavioral, right? The brain stem at 45 and above, it says, no, the body can't do this. And it, the breathing reflex kicks in. So you see hypercapnia in um, free divers, yeah. right? And it's interesting because they train specifically for it. A lot of um, also special operators. So in, there are circumstances where you can train hypercapnia, um, but the body won't allow it for a very long period of time, mm -hmm. right? And so hypercapnia from a behavioral perspective is generally only found like say, um, say you've got an NFL athlete and they're outperforming on the field and they feel like they have to have more oxygen. So it's, it's basically they cut off their exhale mm -hmm. and move, move into um, an under breathing state. Mm. So it's, it's pretty rare. So, so when we talk about what are the things that take breath offline, it's generally not hypercapnia, it's generally hypocapnia. So too much carbon dioxide coming off the body, not enough balance um, and beautiful glucose you know, a high performance mix to the brain. The only way, the only way to know this is by doing a study that actually looks at the CO2 coming out of the body. It's the only way to know it. And this is where the devices cannot measure it. So it's got to be done with this equipment. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess, like, are there places... Uh, enough places around the U.S. or around the world in order to get this measurement? Because I, I imagine this also takes some time too, right? Like you're going to go into a, a center, and I know you have one, but you're going to go into a center for a couple of hours and have to go through this experience. Do you mind just walking through sort of what it would be like? You you mentioned earlier you put it in your nose, uh, you're doing the breathing exercises, etc. Do you mind just going through... Sort of a scenario. So, so to answer the question, are there a lot of centers? No, and yet it's hitting it's hitting more of the mainstream. So, I know that the seals are beginning to use um, this process. A lot of the performance world, they're they're going. Why haven't we been looking at carbon dioxide and respiratory gas balance for performance? And so, so it's coming, um, and yet it takes some training. So the way we use it in our, in our process, so we, we look at every piece of the human system. We hook up sensors on all the different 
systems for the nervous system. So we have a respiration gauge at the chest to look at chest breathing, a respiration gauge in the, in the belly to look at diaphragmatic breathing. We look at heart rate variability through a, a PPG clip on the finger. We look at muscle tension. So what's happening in the, in the body itself as we're breathing, what muscles are we using? And then we add um, also this feedback through the capnometer. What we do is we look at, at the baseline system. What is it doing? What is it saying? How has life created this current performance in the body? And then we stress the system. So we put it through different tasks, whether they're, you know, we, we do cognitive tasks, we do emotional tasks, we do physical tasks. So it might be, might be on a treadmill, it might be on a bike. Um, it really depends on each person. Mm -hmm. But we look at how does that system respond with each new input? So I'm at rest, it does this. I task it mentally or cognitively, it does this. I task it emotionally, it does this. Uh, Physiologic, you know, performance-wise in action, it does this. What happens when I finish that task? We sit in a base or a resting state and we watch how do those systems return? Do they return, right? So from, a, from speaking just of the carbon dioxide, what is the baseline state? How is the CO2 coming out? Is it coming out at a, at a normal level? Is it um, the overbreathing or the hypocapnia? How depleted is it? So there's a scale of what we see, right? The normal, 35 to 45, and then down to 32. Once we hit 32, we go, okay, we're having an issue with the body being able to do okay now, when 32, you're still pretty decent, but when you get down into the 20s and you get down into the low 20s and you get down below 20, you're, you're at great risk. And this is when people begin to go offline. They, they lose their ability to even focus, right? They get the, the more of that tunnel vision thing going on. Mm -hmm. They can't think. Their cognitive capacity goes offline. Um, this is where the brain fog is kind of present. Mm -hmm. um, maybe, maybe I'm dizzy, I'm lightheaded, I, I can't focus, I can't hear you properly. There are so many things that this hypocapnia result in. And, and we're not even going into the medical lane where you've got blood pressure issues and you know, all, of the, all of the things that people who are unhealthy deal with, you know, obesity and diabetes, and all of that is tied to this hypocapnic process. Dr. Hamilton, I guess the question here is, uh, and sorry to interrupt, is there a general correlation with these people and sort of a, a sympathetic, strong sympathetic drive in these kind of moments? Maybe I'm outspoken here, but... Um... No, it is, and, and that's how the, the autonomic nervous system and all of it ties together. Mm -hmm. And so when, when breathing is off in any way, it generally throws you into sympathetic activation, mm -hmm. overactivation. Now, if it's if it's if breathing is off in a slow, relaxed way, right? The parasympathetic nervous system is activated, and that's that relaxation response. Mm -hmm. Generally, the body doesn't need to be put into places on purpose, and so people are doing relaxation breathing so that they can 
turn their system off when it's been in overdrive. If you have a highly agile dynamic system, you don't need to do all of these things to adjust your system, right? You don't need to do heart rate variability training. You don't need to do relaxation response training because the body simply moves where it needs to move when it needs to move there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think from a systems approach, that's what we're all missing in the performance realm, right? Because <laughs> we're focusing on only these specific little stovepipes. Yeah. That's the, the resiliency, the anti-fragileness. If exactly. I, that's, that's the word that I'm obsessed with, at least. Uh, so I, I guess the question on everybody's mind is, if I am hypocapnic into the point where it's this bad and I have brain fog, etc., these states are reversible, right? Oh, clearly, clearly. You know, the human system is remarkable. We really are, and I, and I say this a lot, right? We're self-regulating, self-aware, and self-healing. Mm-hmm. When, when the body-mind complex is in this high-performing state, it does its thing. We don't need to do anything with it because it's living a, an incredible, flourishing life. When it isn't, we get feedback, right? And so if we're depleted and we're going offline and we can't focus and we've got all this fallout in the system, it assists us to re-regulate and integrate those systems that have gone out of alignment, Right? if we're listening. And so uh, a a very aware performing system will recognize that the heart rate has has gone out or the respiration has gone out or the um, high performance mix to the the brain has decreased. You know it and then you realign the system and everything clears up again. But we're talking about an aware system. We're talking about somebody who knows their system. Your listeners generally are highly aware of their system, Mm -hmm. right? And so this is simply an additional piece that they may not have looked at to go, what are the symptoms of when I might be Mm over-breathing? And what does that mean in, um, in relation to how I cognitively perform my tasks, how long it takes me to get my projects done so that I can go out and have fun, right? So when you, uh, when you talk about all that, it's sort of a disciplined process of knowing self because I've had, I've had my evaluation. I know what everything is doing. And even if the person can't get to an evaluation, what they can do is by listening to some of these symptoms, and I know um, you're going to share a breath questionnaire with them as well, mm-hmm. they can tune in to where they might be going slightly out of alignment in their performance or in their um, cognitive project development as well. And, and the breath questionnaire, by the way, guys, will be in the show notes. Uh, you can check those ones out over at decodingsuperhuman.com. Okay, so this is really, really helpful. For somebody who may not be able to do the analysis, let's say today, they're not in Austin, they're not in Nashville, North Carolina, let's say. What are some of the tips that you'd recommend people to to start practicing, to start sort of in training with their breathing so that we can all just sort of live this epic anti-fragile life? Sure. It's, you know, it, it first starts with your own personal awareness. So first is, where am I breathing, Right. Where am I breathing? Am I breathing in my chest? Am I breathing in my diaphragm, in the belly? How rhythmic is my breathing? Is it a silent, gentle, it simply does it, right? Does the exhale leave the body? 
does the air come in? When you're in this state of breathing, there's never a thought to breathing. There's never a need to regulate my system because it's doing its thing, right? If you're there, you're really good. And then you can move into enhancing those processes. And that, that would be a different conversation we could have. If it isn't, right? If the position isn't there, if the rate isn't, you know, you can time it, time the rate. So first position, second rate, how fast am I breathing? Do a 60 second thing and count your breath. Um, I think spire is the only is the only thing that is considered a decent product from a respiration standpoint. It doesn't measure CO2, but at least can work with your respiration. Um, but you can simply do it with your watch. Mm-hmm. Time it. Does it catch? Does it feel like um, on your inhale that you're not getting an affair and you, you feel like you've got to have more oxygen? So you're taking this big, deep breath. This is what we say in our culture, take a deep breath. Well, taking a deep breath can often create a hypocapnic state. And so a lot of people you tell to take a deep breath, they end up going, but I'm really dizzy. Mm -hmm. I don't feel right. I feel off balance. It's actually causing that hypocapnia. So, and, and that would be another thing. So, so where am I breathing? What is the speed of my breath? What is the rhythmicity of my breath? Is it big in the chest? Am I tightening all of my musculature? Is it big in the belly? Am I feeling dizzy, right? What's happening in my breath first? So you get an awareness of it. And that's in all, right? It's, it's I'm sitting here doing it in a, in a uh, baseline rest state. I'm doing it when I'm in the gym. I'm doing it when I'm out running. I'm doing it when I'm doing a project. Am I holding my breath? A lot of people have this belief system that when I'm, when I'm focusing, I have to hold my breath. They say, I cannot, I cannot focus and I'm not holding my breath. Well, you also can't focus if you're holding your breath, right? So, so what are your belief systems around breathing, right? So there's the mechanical aspect, but then what are your belief systems? Do I believe that I have to take a deep breath to be healthy or optimal? Do I need to bring air up into my chest so that my lungs are getting air, right? Not true. So what are my beliefs around breathing? Um, if I'm feeling anxious, do I have to do relaxation breathing to slow everything down? Mm-hmm. When, you're, when you're highly regulated and highly aware and you know your system, you don't have to think about any of this, right? So you do an initial capture. What am I? Where am I? How am I doing it? Um, when am I, if I'm good in most places, when do I notice that I go offline? So we'll go back to the cognitive performance. If I'm doing a project and I need to go all in for two hours, right? Am I taking a break? But if I'm in for two hours and later that evening, I recognize that I'm exhausted. I can't focus. I can't be present with my family. I'm cold, right? My fingertips are cold. Sign of vasoconstriction, right? Mm -hmm. Sign of over-breathing. When do I notice these things? And you'll be able to, um, through this self-awareness, know when you might be having an effect that your breathing isn't optimized in that particular state. So some people can go out and they can work out and they feel amazing. And they're, they're all vasodilated um, and they're like, wow, this, 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 I'm high, right, mm-hmm. from that process. And some people can go work out and say, oh my God, I am so exhausted, I can't function. 
Mm-hmm. Some people, when they do projects, they say, I can't function. There's no way I can get this done. And their brain is spinning and they can't concentrate. Some people go, oh, I so dial in when I have a project to do, right? How do you do it? And then how do you optimize it to get it to be what you need to, right? So that it serves you so that you can be efficient and effortless and live that, I call it a flourishing life, yeah. right? So, so everything is about awareness. What am I doing when with my breath structures? Looking at this as sort of the whole human system, what mm-hmm. role does language play in all of this? Because I, I think like I, I notice and language is something that I'm particularly focused on right now that your language can control a lot about how this whole system and even your breath operates. Does, is there a correlation? Absolutely. There's, you know, I use the term precision of language and you know this, um, everything is about what you're saying, whether you know it or not, it's about what you're saying. For example, I always feel exhausted after working out. That's a belief system, always and never equal a belief system. It's never true, right? Uh, It's never true that you're always a certain way. When you start looking at how language dictates belief systems, dictates outcomes, it's super essential. If, If I say I can't get enough oxygen when I'm running, I have a belief system that I need more oxygen. Mm. Okay, it's not true. It's not true. You don't need more oxygen. Your body gets exactly the oxygen that it needs. Your belief system now projected through your language is what's contracting that down. So, so when you look at language, you have an insight into the subconscious or unconscious belief systems of the person who's speaking. So um, what, what we do with, with language as we're working with the human system is we look at the statements around, uh, I call them limiting beliefs, right? What are the limiting beliefs that come out through the way I say things? It, for instance, I have to go to the gym. I have to go to the gym. Well, you really don't have to go to the gym. I should go to the gym. Mm-hmm. Have to ensure indicates that you really don't even want to, right? You think you should, because why? Or you have to, because why? Now, even if you can drag yourself over there and you do it, what other things are are attached to that? I have to breathe faster because I'm not getting enough air. I I laugh because I see this a lot in in CrossFitters. And and I'm I'm a trained CrossFit, right, mountain athlete. I've I've done all that training. I get it all. So so I own a CrossFit gym. I get it all. (laughs) Not bashing CrossFit. But here's, here's, just think about this. So an athlete's doing this, uh, Fran. We'll just say Fran. You know, Fran, where you you have certain events that you do. 21-15-9. I remember that one fondly. So, So they do the event throw down the thing <laughs> and they walk away from <laughs> Then they go try to do it again and you go, okay, there's no way that you can perform. <laughs> <laughs> it 
try 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 doing a thruster breathing like that <laughs> well, well and it's and it's about the in-between mm-hmm. right you can't recover <laughs> if you're doing that there's no way to recover mm-hmm. and, and you laugh because you see the people who they they, they reset their system mm-hmm. really effortlessly and they can go all day so so it's about performance it's about recovery it's interesting because it goes to language and it goes to what we do with our system and how we talk about it Mm -hmm. so i don't know if that answered where you were trying to go with that but um the language is essential and so it's as essential as knowing what your carbon dioxide is doing Uh listening to what you say about your performance Micro, that was perfect. Thank you. And I, I think before we get into the final five, if you will, I just want to say thank you because 18 months ago, I came across you guys almost by accident. And I, I don't know if you recall the story, but the exploration that and conversations that you and I in particular have had around breath and language have been absolutely profound in impacting my own performance. So thank you so much for everything. Oh, my pleasure. Now, I guess let's start off the final five with it. A pretty deep question. What is health to you? What is health to me? It's flourishing, right? Uh, I don't I don't look at things the way other people look at them. I, I don't have limited belief systems. I say that, and, you know, there, there's always the possibility that I'm not aware of any of those limited belief systems because uh, we don't know what we don't know. Mm-hmm. And yet uh, flourishing equals what? Flourishing equals limitless life. It equals creating my experience because I'm solely responsible for it through through my perception of what's what's out there. Health to most people means an absence of disease. It's not that at all, right? Health is um, a state of being that, you know, you can even jump it into what you would call well-being. I don't even look at it like that. I mean, to me, it's simply flourishing. But a lot of people don't really know what that flourishing state means. Mm-hmm. It's an effortless state of being where all things are interconnected, where relationships are amazing, where I know um, that I'm not separate or different from you, um, where every minute is a gift and um, I'm grateful to be here to be in relationship with the experience with the person in front of me with whatever i'm doing right it's this beautiful kind of autotelic eudaimonic amazing state of being Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's so hard to describe you know what life itself means right because that to me is is help and it's a it's an incredibly beautiful state Absolutely. And I just want to reiterate something you said about creating the experience and that the individual is solely responsible for it because that really the concept of extreme ownership. And I know Jocko Willink kind of has the trademark on that one, but it, it resonates extremely well with me. And I think it resonates really well with high performers as well. And, I, and that, that to me is sovereign responsibility, right? If, That's if I am totally responsible for every single thing in my experience, every single thing. I then am empowered to actually make a change in something that I'm not enjoying. Whether I make that change through my perception 
through my action over time, right? Like I'm laying down new neuronal networks around the behavior that I want to do differently. I'm totally in control of that. I'm the only one in control of that. You can't, right? You can't make me happy. You can't do anything. I'm responsible. And that way I can change everything. It's amazing. Excellent. <laughs> I guess the 180 to this question is what's your biggest pet peeve with the health world? And we can define that if we need to, but your biggest pet peeve with the health world today. Um, you know, I don't, here we go to that precision of language. I don't have pet, I don't have pet peeves. I don't look at life that way. Um, if, if I had to say what I think would enhance the way people are viewing health I would say that um, complex systems approach to being human is what I consider to be a very aware way forward. It, it allows us to understand that every single thing in our environment is an input into the system and everything creates an outcome from it. And so if health were looked at through that lens of how am I interacting with my environment, is my air doctor working to clean my air in my house? You know, what kind of pure water am I drinking, food? If, if I look at every single thing as an interaction with the environment and I look at what's it doing in here and what is the outcome of that process, now I've got this bigger awareness where I can have more control, empower myself around the things that I can do to improve, enhance, whatever change whatever your words are, the experience that you're having from a health perspective, from a life perspective. Excellent. And I'm actually curious about this next question. If you were to flip on the focus switch, what's your top trick, if you have a trick, so to speak, for doing it? My, it, it's, it's not really a trick, right? It's, it's more of an enhanced process of dialing in awareness. So when the system is optimized, and my system is, is um, highly optimized and even a bit enhanced, um, and that's because I've done the work over time, right? It's not a magic thing. It's a discipline-focused thing. But because I know the alignment of those systems, I also know how to dial in in, in and out of state at will. And so my system generally sits in this place of idle, which is that coherent state that we were talking about earlier, where my respiration, my heart rate, and my brain waves are all doing a, a very specific thing. And from that place, I go where I need to go. So if you say um, concentration, focus, if you're talking about cognitive now, right? If we stick in the cognitive lane, I dial in really, really finely into what I call pure awareness. And, and that means different things to different people. But basically, I put my awareness in my belly button. <laughs> this is interesting. I put my awareness in my belly button. I open my system up. I move my brain waves a little bit up, right, from, from the state of alpha that they generally are in, you know, that neutral state, idle state. I move them up to where they're fine-tuned into the cognitive performance that I require. Mm -hmm. <laughs> then I land my project, I move them back down, I'm done with that now, they're down, back to that idle state, and from that place, I move where I need to go next. If it needs to be high performance, 
right? Like I'm running, I'm, I'm really activated. I move into that state. If I want to, um, like I have an off button, I hit the off button because we all run at an interesting place. Mm-hmm. Um, that I don't ever do that. What you call that relaxation thing, where I just go chilling. That's not that's not where I go. But I do go a little down below idle, mm-hmm. um, so that I'm in more of a, kind of a lower alpha state. Mm-hmm. I don't stay in that place very long. That that idle place is where I. It's my go-to because I can maneuver from that place at will. Mm-hmm. Uh, does that make sense to you? Oh, it makes perfect sense. And I like the way it's you put it. It's nervous system control, right? It's, I, I, and yet it becomes an automatic process. And that's what I want to keep getting back to. Yes, you do the training to inhabit a state. But once you know that state, it isn't about doing the training to get there. It's about simply inhabiting it, which, which there's no effort to that. Yeah. And one of the things I want to point out to people is that you've done the work and this does take time, but remember this is a long game. And if you want to get to that point of high performance, you got to do the work. It's not a, like you can't take the pill. It, there's no NZT, so to speak. We got to do the work. And that's, you know, that, that I'm so glad that you, uh, you know, reiterate that if, if we look at it like this, boomer. Homeostasis is that narrow window where humans are ideal. That's that place where we, you know, self-regulate, self-awareness, all of that. You can optimize into the upper levels, upper limits of homeostasis, and the human can enhance, Mm. right? But it is a very strategic process that does happen over time. People are are, um, using enhancement strategies, and they're not even in homeostasis. So yeah, so yeah, go ahead. You can get a boost in one area, but you're going to compromise many more and your system is not going to be optimal. Um, and, and, you know, there's a lot of um, unintended consequences to those actions. Mm-hmm. I like this. Now, my last question before we get into where people can find out more about you, and I have to rephrase this question because I recently uh, discovered that I have a dislike for the word peak performance because you can only go down from there but uh (laughs) what is your favorite book on high performance because i know you're an avid reader of all of these uh, books as i am what's your favorite book on high performance you know there are so many there there are so many we can rattle off many we can rattle off many and my amazon account will probably thank you later yeah and and i am and i'm gonna focus i tell you my my new my new favorite that's coming is Dr. Dan, um, Dr. Dan Stickler, right? My partner. Um, he's doing it. He's releasing an epigenetics of human performance book in uh, October when we speak in London. And we're super excited about that because once you tie epigenetics into human performance, you're at a whole, you just at a whole new level mm-hmm. um, of performance. But the, the I think my, my uh, seminal book on performance is on combat. And they just released an updated version in 2017 of On Combat. They they really, really detailed performance in the in the human body mind. And so that that, that's my my has been my go-to for a very long time. And on the cognitive side, there's a new book out that's the mind of the leader. Because you know, I look at everything through a systems, complex systems approach and I love that that new book because it goes into 
um, aspects of how to lead well, lead self first, and then uh, how to how to interrelate, interconnect uh, with others, and, and it's through performance lens. Beautiful, beautiful. Micra, I guess Dr. Hamilton, where can people find out a lot more about you? Well, there's there's not a, a lot more to find out. Um, <laughs> LinkedIn, LinkedIn is probably the best place to to really. Um, kind of dive into some of my world and um, you know they're certainly welcome to contact me and I'll send my my personal email and, and we can uh, uh, curate some conversations around performance um, because we're always collaborating with with people who are doing the same thing mm -hmm. and want to enhance the human state because in in the end what it all comes down to is how do humans evolve they evolve by taking action and we've been in this, this uh, state of being for a very long time. Uh, what's required to move to the next enhanced state of human and its nervous system um, regulation, optimization, and then beyond. So the nervous system has to change for the human to be able to evolve. Another way to find a, a little bit more about what we're doing is appear on zoe.com. That's our website that jumps into our academy that uh, trains epigenetic coaches in human performance and our medical centers that optimize the human system. They're, they're, not, they're not medical in the traditional lane, as you know. They're really about what's right with you and how do we make that righter. Mm -hmm. People laugh at that, but um, precision performance. And so it's appear on Zoe, A-P-E-I-R-O-N-Z-O-H.com. And that's our, that's our parent corporation, has a lot of different arms. Um, research and development and um, you know one of the things that I'm that I'm standing up and and I'm just going to share it with you because your your particular audience will enjoy this I'm creating an appear on DARPA right so what does all things advanced advanced or enhanced human state look like in open source right what what can we make available to uh, humanity to live the experience differently Super excited about that, and have a have a really great team of individuals who are joining us in that new endeavor. So uh, I, I love technologies, all of it. It's so exciting. I love it. Appear uh, on DARPA. I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> it's it's called Moria. That's it's, it's based on uh, longevity, but Excellent. it's uh, it's pretty exciting. Well. Dr. Hamilton, thank you so much for all of your time. To all the superhumans out there. Thank you so much for listening. And to everyone, remember as always, choose health. Superhumans, before you go, can I ask two favors? Did you enjoy that episode? If so, can you send me an email at podcast at decodingsuperhuman.com? Provide any feedback, positive or negative. I would love to hear from you. And for those of you who have really taken advantage of that, you know I respond to each email. Secondly, if you did enjoy the episode, can you head on over to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, any one of your favorite podcast listening platforms, and give Decoding Superhuman a five-star rating. It would really be appreciated. And then finally, for those of you who are looking at taking an informed approach to health, head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com. Check out what we have going on over there, and if you want to schedule a free 15-minute discovery call with me, you're going to have that option. Superhumans, have an absolutely epic day, and remember as always, choose health.